I always find this when I behave a bit more on my Aboriginal side, people get lost because they don't understand that cultural place of me. So I do feel like I can be quite isolated, but when I can conform this way to the way that they understand, things have always been a lot easier. So, and that's really hard. I do find that really challenging. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Beautiful people, it's been another crazy week here in Victoria in particular. I hope you're all being gentle with yourselves while you adjust to the return back to lockdown. In the meantime, sending another dose of yay to your ears. I'm grateful for so many things, but particularly the digital landscape we live in that at least allows us to stay connected during this ongoing uncertainty. And I'm so honored to be able to keep bringing a little bit of joy to your ears each week. I do hope it helps you along. Before I introduce our guest for today, I also just wanted to say a very big thank you to the Yeighborhood for the overwhelming love and support for the Seize the Yay book that launched for pre-orders this week. Guys, it is so surreal and you have just blown me away. I always talk about self-doubt, as you know, and I honestly was just sitting there thinking no one's going to buy it, but you've already just been so wonderful. I won't say too much more as there'll be plenty of airtime dedicated to the book in due time, so let me introduce you to this week's guest. I'm joined by our first Wooly Wooly Woman, Beach Volleyball Olympian and Commonwealth Games silver medalist Taliqua Clancy. You've probably seen I've been reflecting on CZA's commitment to diversity of all kinds, but also in light of the past few weeks, the best way to contribute to the BIPOC dialogue specifically. And Taliqua is the first of a few wonderful guests coming up who offer some generously personal and thought-provoking insights to the conversation. Growing up in Kingaroy, Queensland, otherwise known as Peanut Town, over 200 kilometres from the nearest beach, you wouldn't expect Olympic success at beach volleyball to be in Taliqua's future. And yet she reached the quarterfinals in Rio, becoming the first Aboriginal Olympian to compete in the sport and is on her way to the slightly delayed Tokyo Olympics next year. Taliqua is also an ambassador for our mutually beloved Cadbury, who are launching an amazing smartwatch campaign this week to support us all staying active in ISO, which you'll hear more about. I'll let Taliqua tell you the rest, and I hope you enjoy as much as I did. Taliqua, welcome to CZA. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here. Oh, it's such a pleasure and so weird to not be able to meet you in person, but still so lovely to see your face. (laughs) (laughs) You do. Oh my God. Crazy times right now. Oh my gosh. I know so much pivoting and adapting. Well, that actually is my first question as well, is I usually start with a little icebreaker, but now I've added another one, which is just to ask how you are. Are you an ISO fan or do you hate it? Are you waiting for it to finish or are you kind of loving the hermit life? 
life? Um, a bit of both, actually. Um, super lucky because obviously I'm based in Adelaide and SA has been doing so great. So, you know, I've been back at training now for a couple months. That's um, awesome. But yeah, in the beginning out the back here, I had like my own little like home gym set up. We're lucky enough, obviously, beach volleyball and the beach is literally like five minutes down the road for me. So we're still able to do some training during the time. But I'm not going to lie, I do love the ISO life a little bit. <laughs> I actually think we're all quietly real introverted hermit crabs that just don't really want to socialize that much, but we've never admitted it as much before or something. Totally. And I don't think like you really noticed because I remember the first time I went for, a, I was doing beach walks, like everybody was down here. And then as soon as things started to like the restrictions and the cases were lower, there was more people on the beach. And I was like, <laughs> okay, this is too much. I'm overwhelmed. Like I can't be around all you people. Like I need to stop. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. Now, even when I go to like small gatherings at people's houses for dinner, I'm like, oh my God, people are going to be socializing. Oh my God, like how do I prepare? Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. The thing for me too is being beach volleyballer. This is my first winter in eight years. So usually now I'm in Europe on world tour and so I'm like, I don't know how to go out and like dress in warm clothes. Like I live in a bikini <laughs> and shorts and shirts. Like that's my life. So it's been an adjustment. Yeah, of course. I forgot that for, you know, people like athletes, there really is a huge cycle per year that you guys are, you've never had to do this before. It's actually quite confronting, I can imagine. Yeah, I guess there's like a bonus because like obviously for once we get to like be where we are and like spend more time with family. Unfortunately, my family's in Queensland, so I didn't really get that opportunity so much. But like for a lot of other athletes, I've had that opportunity, which is pretty. Yeah. So that's the, that's the bonus of, of the isolation. Yeah. And I think that's all you can do, right? Is it's, it's here. We can't change it, but you can look for the silver linings and Definitely. the good things that come out of it. Yeah. So before we kick off, the original icebreaker that I start every episode with is asking everyone what the most down to earth thing is about them. And particularly for an Olympian who has an incredible story and people often see the really glossy side of your life it's easy to sort of you know skim over the really down-to-earth nitty-gritty stuff so what's something super normal about you honestly I think pretty much everything about me <laughs> but I'm just definitely just a very much a family girl um, that's the most important to me I love playing with my two nieces they're like my world so that's really like my down-to-earth part. Yeah. Everything is about family. I love that. And I think family does really keep you grounded. They'll never let you get too big for your boots. <laughs> oh, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> so the first section is called Your Way TA, which is pretty much how you got to where you are today. But going through right from the very beginning, all the decisions that helped you get here, the ups and the downs, and just reminding everyone that, you know, pathways aren't linear and that even if it looks like you're seizing your yay, now there's often you know it's not an overnight success ever it's always yeah. a long long time in the making so tell us about young Taliqua growing up in Kingaroy and your heritage and you know I laughed so much reading that your hometown is over 200 kilometers from a beach so how did you get <laughs> into beach volleyball <laughs> honestly so crazy so yeah firstly I'm a proud woolly woolly woman and um, that's that's my mob and so I grew up in Kingaroy which is around the South Burnett region so that's where my family's from and I've always been so blessed from a young age I always knew I wanted to be a professional athlete like I always knew it I just I don't know there was something with me in sport that I just like gravitated to and then not until sitting down when the Sydney Olympics is on and I'm eight and I was like okay I'm gonna be an Olympian but if you told me it was gonna be for beach volleyball growing up in the country I'd have been like 
I didn't even know what the sport was and I feel so <laughs> bad because Nat Cook, she's like one of my greatest mentors and she won gold at Sydney Olympics and I like, I didn't even see it. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't even watching SOS. Everybody asks that question and I'm like, oh no, I can't. <laughs> but I definitely watched Kathy Freeman win the gold medal. So that's really where my motivation for being an Olympic came, Olympian came from. But I was always extremely active. Like I did every sport under the sun, like netball, started off in soccer, swimming, cross country, touch footy, like just anything I could get myself doing. But I was always more drawn to the ball sports and team sports. So that's where I was lucky enough in grade eight. So my mum was quite young when she had me, mum was 17. So my mum's wow. baby sister's only like six years older than me. And so when I was about to go into high school she was just finishing and she told me you have to play volleyball when you get to high school it's really fun and I was like okay great this was indoor yep brand new sport <laughs> yeah and then from then I've just been so lucky that I've been talent identified um, selected for like Queensland teams and just I'm so lucky that my parents and my family always just said yes so any camps that happened they were like let's make it happen like we're gonna go we're gonna go the beauty of being the only child, I guess. Um, yeah, and so I was just really lucky that I relocated to Brisbane to be a part of the QAS when I was 15, 16. And then from there, um, I was lucky enough to be talent identified to be a part of the then called Australian Institute of Sport. And then I relocated down to Adelaide when I was 17 and I'm 28 now. Oh <laughs> my gosh. I mean, that is just so young to just be, you know, yoinked out of where you were in a sport that you didn't even actually know much about until you you were yeah. just sort of thrown into it and then you were so good at it that people were like we'll just take you and move you elsewhere and then again <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing is I remember the first day I played beach volleyball it was at QIS at Sandstorm and I hated it like I hated beach volleyball so much no so way much. so much like even though it's like still digs at spike, the from hardcore to sand, I couldn't move. I couldn't jump. I was like, nah, I can't do this. I was wearing bike shorts. I got these horrible tan lines. I was <laughs> like, this is this sport is not for me. But it changed very quickly. <laughs> the love came very quick. And I mean, even cooler that it did stem from just being interested in all sports and then indoor was first before it wasn't like I grew up on the beach and I just needed to be by the sand <laughs> I love that you can really fall into random things on a pathway that you never expected and as young as 15 and then 17 be moved you know across the country to to be there <laughs> so before we move further into your incredible journey to the olympics you were in fact the first indigenous australian athlete to compete as an olympian in beach volleyball ever which is incredible but you know when we're younger i think we all have such a roller coaster time with our identities who we are what we want to be yeah. but particularly in the past few weeks we've been focusing on you know cultural and ethnic experiences particularly so tell us about growing up as a woolly woolly woman and watching athletes like Kathy Freeman and what that journey as an Aboriginal woman has meant for you? Um, I always was extremely proud to be Aboriginal. Like I always knew I was always extremely proud, but I'm not until later in life. Now I'm trying to explore more into it. And I definitely know from my journey as an athlete, like how much of a great positive role model I can be and what role I can play. But yeah, it's, it's a crazy journey especially watching anything that comes up because a lot of that resonates with me and it's been a, like a long journey to really just be able to find my voice um, because in Queensland I find a lot growing up we are a lot of culture is lost like there is no language spoken within my family um, that's all just that's all completely lost and that's oh, wow. not easy you know like people say 
we need to move forward or we need to get over it. And it's like, no, that's like, you know, the stolen generation, they're only in their sixties, you know, like it's still very young and fresh. And if there's anything that I've learned now that I've gotten older is that that does affect me. Like that trauma feeds through the generations. My grandparents, and I call them mum and dad as well, you know, they're incredible. They gave me an amazing life. But I feel like because we had to adapt to just the Australian way and the white way is why I'm able to be successful and get to where I am because I knew how to adapt Mm. because when I always find this when I behave a bit more on my Aboriginal side people get lost because they don't understand that cultural place of me so I do feel like I can be quite isolated in that in that space but when I can conform this way (laughs) to the way that they understand things have always been a lot easier so and that's really hard I do find that really challenging I'm extremely lucky that my coach for Rio 2016 cycle, he's Aboriginal. So he understood, he understood my family because he knows too that like the family comes with you. <laughs> like that, yeah. You know, we're, we're a package deal. You don't just get me. And I'm blessed again in this cycle that my coach, he's Māori. So again, he, that they're very similar culturally. So I've been extremely blessed in my journey to have that constant understanding and guidance through my career. Yeah, that must have really provided a lot of support for you. I also find it so interesting how you described your Aboriginal side and then contrasting kind of more conforming side because it really highlights something I've been thinking about a lot over the past few weeks. You know, so much of the dialogue makes people one thing or the other and doesn't really take into account the greyer areas of life in between where you can have different sides to your heritage and personality and kind of swing between them depending on what you're doing. Mm. I actually wrote a post about how being Asian, so, you know, I'm not white or a person of colour technically, it really made me realise that ethnicity isn't black or white, both specifically and metaphorically. It's a spectrum and we're only just learning the right language to have these conversations, you know. I don't think people really see those degrees and and the complexity of it all. No, totally not, totally not. I, I agree with you. Um, and it is difficult because not so much have I ever had racism directly to me, but for me... Um, the words that I have been told is like you're not that black and that just hurts just as much I'm like no I am it's just I can be a different person with you but when I'm with my family I'm a completely different person like that just hurts just as much that was that's hard to hear yeah that was actually my next question for you I think one thing people don't hear of as much is of course there are so many cases of blatant racism or discrimination but There are also cases where you might be half Indigenous or fully Indigenous but have paler skin than others do and people then attack you for sort of not being Aboriginal enough and I'm sure there are many people like you who have experienced that that kind of, you know, it's it would be painful and confusing. Definitely. It, it's for a really great example, it's um, Adam Good's journey because he had the same thing. And that's, you know, he didn't grow up knowing so much about culture, but he went out and he did his Aboriginal studies. And it's just, it, yeah, it's really sad because it's just that unfortunately is the, is the case. And, and, I, and I do feel that, but I'm definitely learning to educate myself more. And mm-hmm. so I can be a really a great great voice for the future because I was extremely lucky too I went was able to go to a primary school to talk about reconciliation week and I was just so amazed about the questions they were asking me about racism and a friend of ours my gym coach's son they're learning about Terranelius and I was like wow okay this is so powerful um because I was not learning this in school wow so there's a small shift there still needs to be a lot more coming but I was like okay 
this is the generations where I can make a good influence on and, and use my voice to, to hopefully make a shift in the years to come. Absolutely. I remember the first time I heard of Terra Nullius as a concept was at law school and I couldn't believe it wasn't part of our earlier school education. So it's, you know, it's amazing to see Indigenous role models like yourself really vocally exploring your heritage and contributing to the conversation for the younger Aboriginal community and also society at large. So we'll come back to some of the work you've been doing, you know, mentoring in remote communities. But first, let's jump back onto the sporting journey when you first moved to Brizzy. I think for anyone at 15, moving out of home and then moving cities is such a big deal. But, you know, to full-time training, then the AIS, then preparing for your first Olympics in Rio, what was it all like? Honestly, I've just like, I'm so fortunate that I've just been so clear on what I wanted. So it was like, yeah, this is like my natural progression. Like we're moving <laughs> to Brisbane and and like this is what we're doing I have been like so lucky in terms of like support from my mum and even though it was crazy because like now I can talk so freely but I was so shy when I was younger I feel like that's just the country the country girl and like you know we we watch Mm. we take it in and then we like step into that space because I like yeah I never used to speak to anybody I would just go out and train and just do my thing and then from there that's where I I'm grateful because honestly, all my closest friends have come from volleyball. So I found myself in in that sport, and I feel like this is how I've now I have most now I have my voice too. Just yeah, and I found more confidence. So I'm grateful for that because I feel like yeah, I've found where I'm meant to be. I just love hearing that more than anything when people find their thing and they just get to wake up and do it every day. It just makes my heart yeah. sing, <laughs> especially when you went from a six-hour round trip for you and your mum, Shannon, to get to a beach to then becoming seventh in the world in the sport and then to get your place in the Olympics. Yeah. I really think you know there aren't many people that have a childhood dream and then actually grow up to live it. So then once you did that, what happen to your expectations or or pressures on yourself to kind of hit you know the Olympics is the ultimate so were you straight away thinking about the next one like was that a success for you or did you just go straight back to kind of okay how do I do bigger and better next time um there's one thing that I've always known is I've always loved like high performance sport so I I really do love the pressure of results and the expectations of results so I feel like that has been like a great strength of mine to like put myself into the deep end of like because we go on a world tour I I would say we're very similar to tennis we have a world tour um, so we just we're traveling constantly all year round and so and that's how we earn our money our prize money like that's like our livelihood as well so those results and and those expectations like are extremely important and I feel like that's been like a massive part of why I've been able to be so successful but yeah if we're talking about Olympic cycles it goes every four years so as soon as one cycle ends the next one like pretty much start straight after that you're already looking looking ahead so so post London Olympics I was a junior volleyballer and that's where I was like gunning to like be like okay put myself in a really good position that I could hopefully take that next step into becoming a senior athlete and being a part of the Olympic campaign um, and I was so fortunate enough that I played an event in Cronulla a national tour event and I was able to play with Louise Borden at the time now Louise Grice and we won that event and she saw potential in me and I was like, I really want to play with you. And so I was like, <laughs> so lucky that we're like, okay, let's go. Like, let's go. 
let's go on this journey. And yeah, we we're just so lucky that we, we had a really great partnership and a, and a really great friendship still. And we did make it to the quarterfinals at Rio, which was incredible. It's like everything you could dream of, but there is like that bitter disappointment still. Um, yeah, that still still hurts, but I definitely learned a lot. Like I was I was pretty young <laughs> during that time. So, so I was young. definitely making a few mistakes. And so coming into this Olympic cycle, like I'm more mature, more experienced. So I definitely know the areas to improve. And, and I feel like it's been so great we're on this journey with Maria Faye um, at the moment because we have taken those steps forward. And because she even went to the Rio Olympics as well um, in a different team. Yeah, it's crazy how like your journey through the sport can like change because it's like sometimes I wish I could go back and be like, I wish I was that athlete that I was for Lou that I am now. Um, just because she was like later in her career towards the end. I was like, gosh, I wish I could go back and be that person that I was then. But I do believe everything happens for a reason and I was meant to go on that journey. So yeah, and I feel like I've put myself in a really good position to get a medal, even though it has been postponed a year. But um, yeah, it's nice to see the growth that has come through all this. Oh my gosh. And it's so interesting that you know, we forget people who aren't in the Olympic cycle. I think we forget that for us, we were like, okay, cool. It's been postponed. You know, people have to change their flights. As a spectator, the impact on you is like pretty small. Like it's disappointing, but it's one year. But for you guys, like every minute since the last one has been about the next one being on this particular time, like you peak at a certain time and to have it moved is like, absolutely grout like it changes everything for you mentally physically so how have you know once that news like focusing your whole last four years on this year once that news came through of you know it's going to actually have to move how do you shift from that disappointment uncertainty phase to okay refocus just readjust deal with it start training again how do you make that shift how do you deal with like perfect conditions that you'd set all this time changing it's definitely wasn't easy um I'm so for myself I'm a very much an extrovert so I feel like half the time me having talks with my coach is actually more important than me having a same session because in the beginning we we're actually in Coolangatta and it was meant to be our first event on the our world tour calendar and unfortunately right before that event started it got postponed and my family's in Queensland and the Olympics then wasn't officially um, postponed, but I had a feeling that it was that was the path that we, it was going to take. And I just remember because I was like, well, I don't want to go back to Adelaide. Like Maria Faye and Kirk and his family have already went back. And I was like, I think I want to be with my family right now. <laughs> and then like just it's so important to have those great relationships. It was it could easily I could just pick up the phone to Kirk and I was just like, OK, these are my concerns. And then for him, he was like, you know what? I feel like it's important that we isolate together. The Olympics is still going forward. Um, and I think it's important we stay together so we can continue training. And I was like, okay. So those those have been like extremely important because even in times now, a lot of it's a lot more technical. I call this a very, very long preseason. <laughs> um, so that's difficult in itself. So yeah, it's just been important to that we sat down and we set like little goals about what we want to do and just keep checking in. We do that every week with our sports psych as well as a team. We just go, okay, so where are we all at? Um, and set really clear goals. That's been like massive for us during this period of time. 
Yeah, I think this is a time where things like sports psychologists and psychologists generally are so important. I mean, I know I lean so heavily on mine. Keeping a check on your anxiety and mental health while there's so much uncertainties. It's just so great to know you're all supporting each other so you can perform at your best when it finally does come around. And we're just so lucky we're in Adelaide too, gosh, like just to have the ability to get back into training and things like that changes everything. Yeah, for sure. And that you have a beach near you. Like imagine if you were back in Kingaroy and like... (laughs) (laughs) they do actually have a beach volleyball court at the swimming pool I don't know how or why but it's been there since like I was in high school and I never would play on it too I never like played beach volleyball then oh my gosh place to be (laughs) (laughs) and from Kingaroy to now the amazing roles like as Cadbury ambassador one of my favorite companies in the world I just read about their smartwatch campaign that actually went live this week that I think will help lots of us stay active during this time maybe not as active as you but still (laughs) so tell us about your role the campaign and why you're so excited about being a Cadbury ambassador it's definitely perfect like if you do the hard work you get a little treat too it's like the double bonus Right. Yeah. So on the 8th of July, Cadbury will start their smartwatch campaign. And if you purchase two chocolate bars in like two weeks, the first 500, it was in the beginning, I don't know if they've ramped it up, is able to go on the website and, and get themselves a smartwatch. So I've been super lucky that it's already been helping me, like keeping me up to date with my steps. And it's really good even just for sleep quality. Um, we do a lot of work with tracking that. That's very important for us as athletes. What else? It does like everything, honestly. It can check your heart rate. It can, yeah, literally, it's it's pretty cool. It's a fun new toy that I have. <laughs> I also feel like if anyone wanted to be an ambassador of anything to get the perks of being an ambassador, it would be Cadbury. Like, <laughs> 100%, 100%. Someone must have told them how much I love chocolates. So yeah. I'm so lucky, so lucky. What are your favourite Cadbury chocolates? Um, definitely the roasted hazelnut. Ooh. And even in the dark chocolate, honestly, I love all of them, but I'm definitely like anything with nuts, like even like rum and raisins, rum and raisins, Ooh. top deck. Oh my gosh, there's too many. They also brought back marble recently which was like a throwback to my whole teenage years. I think they sent me one bar and then I just got obsessed again and had to go back to the supermarket and buy like the 10 that they had left on the shelf. I know. It it takes you back completely to your childhood. That's what I was like, yes. (laughs) And then some of the other amazing things you've been able to use your profile and platform for have been maintaining roots with the Indigenous community and mentoring in some remote areas. I think you partnered with Port Adelaide Football Club, was it? Yeah, Port Adelaide Football Club. And the Aboriginal Power Cup program? Yeah, yeah. And that's all a part of the Port Adelaide Football Club. And just recently now too, I'm also the ambassador for Deadly Choices, which is all about Aboriginal health too, which is incredible. They do a lot of even just like for tobacco, just like going out to schools. It's, yeah. It's more Queensland-based, but yeah, that's another great group that I'm a part of now as well. Oh, that's so But yeah, I've been, it's amazing. I love every minute when I can if I'm not traveling. Um, And it's been obviously a hit too because obviously no one can travel. So I haven't been able to go out to the remote communities, but yeah, I've just been so blessed that I was able to get that opportunity to to be an ambassador for them and to go out to those communities because it's honestly, it's so important. It's like the best job in the world, honestly. I can't explain. It's so rewarding and, and, I, and I hope that I can make a really strong impact because there isn't too many female Aboriginal athletes mm. um, around. So it, it's nice to go out to those remote communities and and for the girls to know, you know, it's not just all about footy. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of other things you can do out there. But even if it is the older or younger generation, just to hopefully make a good positive impact is is important. 
And I think also having really good role models, like even reading back your story and seeing what an impact just watching Kathy Freeman at eight years old, like eight years old when you don't really kind of care about the future or, you know, you're just so in your own little bubble, the impact that she could make on you and like no one had done it in your sport before, but you're like, now I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to be the first Olympian to play this sport from the Indigenous community. It's crazy because like... For me, it just feels like such an honour right now, like just to be alongside the likes of all the all the amazing Aboriginal Olympians. It's crazy to think like that I am the first Aboriginal athlete to play beach volleyball. Like that's insane. I'm sure that'll sink in further down the line, but right now it's just a huge honour. Yeah. Yeah, actually that's so interesting as well that those things kind of don't hit you when they happen because you're like, I'm just doing the thing. And then yeah. one day you'll wake up and be like, oh my God, like that was actually me. <laughs> That's a thing. Like, that's a big deal. And you probably do without even knowing how, are probably inspiring like so many young women out there to believe that they can do it too without being able to tell you necessarily. But when you do do those community visits, I'm sure getting that kind of feedback would just make your life. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You just, yeah, you don't realize the impact you have. But I feel like that's such a blessing of being an athlete. Mm. And I try not to take that for granted and I try to use it in a positive steps moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So there have clearly been so many highs, but the next section is called NATA, which we've covered a bit, but where we explore in a bit more depth the real challenges and barriers to your yay along the way, like self-doubt, burnout, you know, adjusting to being in the public eye, especially given the way the past few weeks has unfolded with the BIPOC conversation really coming to the forefront of our minds. Perhaps we can start with your experience as a member of the Aboriginal community. I think it's hard for all the Aboriginal community. It is heavy it's very emotional like it's super heavy because for me which is kind of insane is that everyone just wants to see it as a USA issue and I'm like no this is an issue that we all face daily in the in the Australian community and that's what makes it hard because it's really hard to use our voice all the time and just to be told that we're ungrateful and that you know we're all about just Centrelink and things like that like that stuff that's really really hard to, to keep hearing um, but also for me it goes okay I've held my voice back too much you need to start speaking up so it's giving more it's empowered me in that way like I do try to see them positive and I'm extremely proud of how the Aboriginal community has used their voice to be like no this isn't okay and these are examples of of how it does affect our community, how it is still very present and alive in Australia. Yeah, it's it's been really heavy, to be honest. Yeah, and there's so many facets to it as well. I Do you sometimes find that it is an enormous, enormous achievement to be the first Indigenous person to compete in an Olympics in your sport? But do you ever find that sometimes you're like, I'm more than just that, like that's not the only thing I've done, whereas people keep coming back yeah, to that? Yeah, totally. You know? oh, I, and I agree. Um, sometimes like I do get concerned if like if I'm going to be like for I don't know if this is appropriate to say but this is how I use it the token black like I do feel like that sometimes and especially being a female athlete but I know I'm a lot more than that and and I do trust that people see a lot more than that but there is a side that goes like is it this like could it be like you know like that's that's not nice thought to go to but I know that I am a lot more than that. And so, again, like I said, I just try to use that in a positive as in like, okay, this is a great, another great platform for me to 
to educate people. And I feel like that's the most important part is like creating that cultural awareness without being able to like have that voice. And like I said, like kids in primary school now learning about that. And you know, like there's all generations now that can take those steps to be more culturally aware. And, and I feel like slowly people are more wanting to know that, which is really, really good. But yeah, we've still got, a, still got a long way to go. I love though that you're taking the positives out of everything that's happened and making it about using the platforms and, and the newer opportunities to share the, those stories and share your message. And I think think if everyone had a really positive spit on it we'd probably get a lot further a lot quicker <laughs> it's not it's never easy but you just I always try and fight the find the positive yeah absolutely what about in other contexts where you've had that like sort of small voice of doubt or wonder in sport like I'm not good enough or I imagine you guys are just perfectionist with your performance and your body and like you you know really can run yourself into the ground by just feeling like you've always got to perform and and also when you don't win like how does that how do you deal with your idea of success in your mind? If it's a silver, like, is that a loss? Or is that, you know, I feel like a lot of athletes are like, if I don't win gold, it's I've lost. But everyone else is like, you still got a medal in the Olympics. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? Um, yeah, I, I feel like that's like so unique for, for every athlete because for myself, I'm such an extrovert and Rafa is an introvert. So as a team, it's, it's funny to like watch and navigate how we go through wins and losses and and moments of self-doubt but they definitely come I feel like I'm so blessed in terms of being an athlete I think that's the best part of being an athlete is we get like sports psychologists and you know we we have to learn those you have to like look deep into yourself and understand like where those self-doubts come from and and learning techniques and skills and and your routine to help manage manage those self-doubts but for sure they come they come all the time and I feel like if we don't have it I don't feel like I love my sport still so it's, it's not easy I can definitely tell in a for my burnout was definitely post 2016 um, and to starting this new Olympic cycle every Olympic cycle for an athlete and an organization and sport there's always a massive shift so I lost my coach Steve and he changed the world to me and there was a whole reform of the whole program. So that was particularly difficult for myself because, you know, the Olympics, it's you put so much, you put all four years into this one goal and it takes a lot of mental and emotional energy out of you. And I did struggle to find my motivation again post-2016. That was pretty difficult for me. Um, and that took like a whole year of like whole of 2017 to really like, fight through it and even just to have that motivation to play games on tour and so you know that was a particularly tough year and I'm so happy that I was able to stick through it um, because everything changed so quickly and then the next year you know I'm getting the silver medal at, silver medal at the Com Games which is just incredible you know like that at home in Queensland so I'm so grateful that I've built this resilience to just keep going through the hard times like that was a particularly rough time of my year and I'm so happy I stuck it out because it's just coming third last year too at world champs like that's just these are like big steps like I've taken forward it's kind of crazy to think about <laughs> I also think it's this section is always where people have their biggest revelations they're always like I only made those jumps because it was a bit of a shit year and I did have a bit of a shit time like you only make your big growth through having to confront things that aren't comfortable or aren't part of your habit. And it seems like you've taken the best out of all of those times to now like make each new challenge easier because you do have that strength and resilience, which is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the very last section is called Play TA, which is my favorite because I think, you know, we all have a lot of labels. And I mean, particularly in the conversations we've been having lately, there are even more labels ascribed to everyone around us as a particular color, a particular sport, a particular age, like everything is categorized. And I think underneath all of that, there's just a person who has interests that are outside of their vocation or their career. And, you know, it's like our our inner child, but so many of us trap that person under being busy and under goals and just trying to be successful and, you know, hit metrics in life. And I think it's so important to find things that are play for you that are just when you just want to forget what time it is, when you don't want to be athlete Taliqua, Indigenous Taliqua, when you just want to be yourself and just have fun for the sake of it. So how do you play when you're not training? What do you do just for joy in your downtime? Honestly, I think the the number one for me is just being an auntie. Like honestly, that's like that's like everything to me. And I feel like too, because my coach also has two young kids as well. They're like four and two. And I'm always like drawing with them and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, maybe I am more artistic like than what I think I am. Like I need to start getting into it. <laughs> or maybe just because they're so kind and they just tell me I'm a really good drawer. Yeah. <laughs> I think kids are so good for their needs are so immediate they don't have their minds like adults like tomorrow what am I going to do next week what do I need to do in two years they're very now and that's so good for you to be around that yeah definitely definitely I surround myself with children honestly I'm like obsessed that's why like going into <laughs> the pathways and like Aboriginal health and that has just been so nice I'm like yes let's go play yeah. like, let's learn <laughs> like other than that and I imagine eating a lot of Cadbury are you a Netflix watcher do you read books I am a total binge Netflix honestly yes. I had to keep I had to borrow my best friend's stand account because I was like I need more shows <laughs> like, you've like, run out of the whole of Netflix <laughs> I really have I really have like I'm just binging I'm watching Heart of Disc Dixie can't say the word Dixie what else documentaries I'm getting really into true crime at the moment which I need to be careful of because if I watch it too late, I can't sleep. I have to put on like a Disney movie or something. So I've got to be careful. I'm obsessed with true crime like and crime fiction, I think. Like anything crime, I'm just so into. And then like if I need to pee in the middle of the night, I'm so scared to run to the bathroom because I'm like, there's a murderer. Really, totally. Oh, my God. It used to give me so much anxiety. It's like being an athlete. It's like when I go on world tour, that's like my other life. And then I come back to reality. <laughs> if I watch it on world tour, I could still sleep. But when I come back and I try to do it at home, nah, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> if you hadn't, like, I love that you knew you wanted to be a sports person for so long. If there was any other career that you could do and just assume, like, you could be good at it, there'd be no barriers, is there anything else you can imagine yourself having done? Um, other than being an artist, obviously. <laughs> very creative. I'll turn it, that's for sure. Um, I've always really been drawn to health for some reason. But I was never particularly good at school, but I've always like been really drawn to that side of stuff. So, and health is such a broad area too. So I mean, yeah, I've always just been more drawn, more drawn to that side. If it was like maybe nursing or something like that, I think I'd be like really into. Uh, when yeah, I was younger, yeah. I loved Grey's Anatomy too. And I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Oh my God. And then I realized that you actually have to be really smart. <laughs> You also have to go to uni for like 15 years or something. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so not that patient. I'm like itchy feet because I just can't like get my passport out. I feel like I'm neglecting it, the poor thing. Oh yeah. Oh, and yours would get such a bashing with being around like everywhere all the time. Totally, totally. I've even like gone through like two in like the past year and a half. Like it's just crazy. They just go so quick. 
pretty cool. We travel a lot as well, not obviously to the same extent as you, but for work we travel a lot. And I've actually found like you almost travel back to back so much that you don't get excited for the next trip because you're just so spoiled for the the trips. And it's been nice to just build up that appreciation for actually how amazing it is that you can go to another country on a plane and just be somewhere else, you know, like it's been nice to not take it for granted and... And be rushing around. Yeah, for sure. But missing it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm so jealous of like all my European like competitors because they're all in like summer and I'm like just here in Australia where it's chilly. Exactly. <laughs> the joy is I can have more cabri because it's winter and I don't have to put on a bikini, so I don't feel as guilty. <laughs> That's true. But you've got your smartwatch now, so you're obviously gonna be super fit. Exactly. Exactly. It's balance. It's all about balance. Absolutely. (laughs) So just to finish up, what are three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation? Oh my God. Um, Like pet peeves or like party tricks or party tricks, like weird things about you that no one else knows. The worst part about me is I'm so open. I tell everybody everything. (laughs) So there's like not much that people don't know about me. They're the best things though. The weird like overshares. I'm like, yeah, yeah. More of those. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I can tell I have like six tattoos and I don't think people see it or see it, but I did actually get the Olympic tattoos under my, this is my hitting arm. My right hand. So that was, so it's kind of hidden with like when my crop top comes. And my first tattoo actually was the Aboriginal flag. Oh my god. I I that was my first tattoo. I used to claim that I was the first person to ever to do this, but I, one of my cousins, he had it on his chest the whole time and I had no idea. I was like, oh, oh that made rude. me feel a bit special. And I know, but I was like, oh, that's cute. Once <laughs> in the family. Um, I'm obsessed with like guacamole. I think my first friend, like, honestly, if you ever want to woo me, Get me some guacamole. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty plain, to be honest. Do you have any allergies or like, oh, what's the best favorite memory in your career? Like favorite tournament or favorite country that you competed in? Favorite person to compete with or against? Or like just hysterical locker room moments that are just so funny? Oh my God. I can tell you one really embarrassing moment that I had. Um, we were in Florida in St. Petersburg and it was the tournament before world champs that year, which is like world champs is like the most important event for your Olympic qualification. So it was like the week before that. And I don't know what I was thinking. So we're, we're at the warm up court getting ready and we start taking our clothes off in our bikinis and I've gone to pull down my shorts and quickly realized and had a moment so I was still in my underwear. I forgot to put my bikini pants on. I was like, <laughs> I just like looked at Lou and I was like, I don't have my bikinis on. And so I was so lucky that the hotel was closed. So I quickly ran to the shuttle bus, got on the bus. I was like, oh my God, my coach is going to kill me. Like, <laughs> I mean, at least you had undies on. Like imagine if I you know, were just like. I just like flashed everybody. <laughs> but I got back to the, like I got back. I missed the whole warm up, but we still won the game. So I was like, I'm safe. <laughs> oh, you're fine then. You're fine. Maybe it's yeah, a good luck I mean, thing. Just don't wear underwear. You'll be fine. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, complete paranoia though. Every time for like months after, I was always like <laughs> checking. I was like, did I remember? And I would check like three times like at the hotel, <laughs> in a hotel at the courts. I was like, we're good. <laughs> Actually, you guys are always in like in bathers. So do you ever like see photos from the game, like in the paper and stuff where you're just like, why would you get me from that angle? Like, I'm so glad my job doesn't involve being photographed from all angles, moving around in bathers. I totally, I know. So half the time I'm like, why that picture? (laughs) 
like, it's fine. I'm like, no. It's not fine. <laughs> There's one thing I've learned is like you just I brush off that stuff. Yeah. Like we always will have those like self-image moments. Like don't get me wrong, I still always have them. But at the same time, like I don't really care. <laughs> like you, you learn to get a thicker skin. Totally. You totally like you just I'm just like, no. Nah. I'm doing my thing. Like, yeah great attitude yeah literally as long as I'm winning like it doesn't matter and I'm happy and I'm gonna keep having my chocolate like you know like you've got your smartwatch you're fine exactly exactly <laughs> and very last question what's your favorite motivational quote you know it's so crazy because I'm not really a quotes person and it was funny today because I was in gym because my coach was like I'll find you a quote and he found the Forrest Gump one and I was like life's a box of chocolate <laughs> you never know which one I was like oh that's so good but if there's one thing that I really like stick by is these these words is like continuous growth that is what I really like live by I think it's in my beach volleyball career and outside I don't ever want to put ceilings on myself so I really just live by that continuous growth um yeah I never want to stop growing improving getting better so that's what's really important to me Amazing, Taliqua. I can't imagine the continuous growth that's going to go on between now and Tokyo. We will be watching so carefully and so proudly. Thank you so much for sharing everything and joining the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you. I found so many of Taliqua's reflections so interesting and eye-opening, particularly about discrimination for not being Aboriginal enough, which I hadn't actually considered as much. We mentioned a few things in this chat, like the concept of terra nullius, which I learned about in a legal context, but it's worth looking up generally as part of the BIPOC research I'm sure many of you have been doing. I'll pop the spelling of it in the show notes. If you enjoyed this chat, please show Taliqua your support and share your screenshots tagging at Taliqua. Yes, she has her first name as her Instagram handle. Amazing. And myself, so we know what you think. It's not like any of us needed an excuse to buy more Cadbury, but do check out their smartwatch campaign too to help you stay active in ISO. And if you haven't pre-ordered your CZA book, I'll pop the links for that in the episode notes as well. Sending you all so much love and I hope you're seizing your yay.